0: Our scripture this morning comes from Matthew 16, verses 13 through 23. We're taking a break this morning from our study in the Gospel of John, and I'll say more about that when we come to the message. But let's begin with Matthew 16, 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Who loves the church? Jesus does. What is CCRC? Who is Christ's Covenant Reformed Church? I'm asking you this morning. How would you define this church? I would ask you, what is your attitude toward the church of Jesus Christ in general? And what is your attitude toward Christ's? Covenant Reformed Church specifically? Well, why must we answer those questions? I'll tell you the answer. I'll tell you why. We live in the midst of a culture, we've talked about this, we live in the midst of a culture that is saturated with a secular world and life view. That world and life view, the secular world and life view, is not new. It was there from the beginning. That worldview has sought to marginalize the church for 2,000 years and has accomplished their goal. We're seeing it accomplished. The goal of the secular world and life view, we've seen it accomplished. And seeing it accomplished every day in our culture. Church attendance and membership has been declining in this country for 50 years. And since 2000, the decline has become much, much more severe. Now, what do we do with that? we tend to blame the liberal element in the church for the decreasing influence of the church on our society. Indeed, many denominations have moved away from the cardinal and essential doctrines of Scripture. These denominations no longer view this book. They no longer view the Bible as being the word of God. They no longer hold to the former essentials of the deity of Christ or the innate sinfulness of man. They no longer hold to the atoning nature of Christ's death and of his resurrection. These denominations, as they move away from Scripture, adopt the popular positions of the world as their new causes. They are indeed losing members. And their influence has steadily decreased. We would say to them, you need to rediscover, we would say to these churches, you need to rediscover your roots and the power of the gospel. However, however, There is another significant reason for the decline of the authority and power of the church in our society. What is that other reason? Evangelical Christians have developed over the years a low view of the church. It's like they have bought into the culture's view. The secular culture's view, they've somehow bought into the secular culture's view as they look at the church. This is a huge problem. It's one thing for non-Christians to have a low view of the church. You expect it. And indeed, the world does look at the church as being irrelevant and being passe. However, it's quite another thing. When Christians have a low view of the church. And the truth is, many Christians also look at the church as being irrelevant and passe. They can take it or leave it. Listen to me, they do not see, these Christians do not see the church as being essential to their faith, essential to their Christian lives. They believe they can live their Christian lives. They'll even brag about this. They can live. They'll say, I can live my Christian life. I can live out my faith. I can live out my faith in the world without the church. The purpose of this study that we began this morning is to relearn the high and holy view of the church that is powerfully taught in scripture. We want to understand why the church should be so significant in our Christian lives. The view of the great significance of the church is not new. It's not novel. It's not something that preachers make up. It's right out of scripture. In fact, many Christians who pride themselves in saying they believe the scriptures are unbelievers at this point. They're either ignorant of what the scripture teaches about the church or else they don't believe it. We are always pointing our fingers at the world and saying it's your fault of who we are. The church being irrelevant, or we point our fingers at the liberal denominations who have forsaken the gospel and say, it's your fault. Only the older people here, and I'm talking about older, my age, are going to know about this. There was a cartoon series in our papers decades ago. It was about some swamp creatures down in the Okefenokee swamp the prime character in this cartoon series was a possum named Pogo and Pogo's most famous line that's remembered yet today is I have seen the enemy and it is us well, that's a most appropriate. As I was writing this, I thought of Pogo. If we as evangelical Christians had a high and biblical view of the church, we would never see her as being passe and irrelevant. We would never see her as being a museum piece. Something is wrong. It's dreadfully wrong when a majority part Of the evangelical community. Have marginalized. The church of Jesus Christ. It's one thing when the world does it people. It's another thing when we do it to ourselves. If Christ's covenant is to be a genuine New Testament church. Then we must know. What a genuine New Testament church is. Even many ministers conservative and evangelical do not have a biblical view of the church. They don't have a biblical ecclesiology. How important is it that we know what the church of Jesus Christ is? How important is that? Why should Christians treasure the church? That's our first point. And the answer is right before us in the passage we read from Matthew 16. And probably most people here have never seen it as popular as this passage is. I first want you to see as we look at this passage the great significance of the church. Let's look at the context of the passage. Jesus was well into his ministry when this happened. The first part of his ministry had been centered on his miracles and his identity. We have Seen this in our study in the gospel of John. In the first chapters of John. That that early ministry was focused. His focus was on his miracles. You see it also in the other gospels. His miracles did what? Why did the emphasis on the miracles? Because it pointed to his identity. That he was the son of God and son of man. No mortal had ever commanded, commanded the blind to see. And the paralyzed wall. No mortal had ever raised the dead on command. No mortal had ever stopped storms on command. In this period, he not only focused on his miracles, his teaching during that time also focused on his identity, likewise. His miracles said, Who am I? Who is this man? We have seen over and over again in John his claims and his teaching to be the Messiah of Israel, the Son of God and Son of Man. So that is what had been happening with Jesus and his disciples. In the passage before us, Jesus concludes this part of his ministry by taking his disciples north to Caesarea Philippi. North Caesarea Philippi was a Roman resort city. Outside, the disciples usually environs. They, that's not where you would expect to see them. It was north of Galilee. And he administers there the most important test that they had ever experienced. Jesus says to them, all right, you've seen the miracles. You've heard my claims and my teaching. Who am I? Who do you say that I am? The disciples passed that midterm exam. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Now stop right there. How important, how important was that confession? For the Christian, that identity of Jesus as being the Christ and son of God was is and forever will be a centerpiece of Christianity. It's huge. Well, from this time, right there, that moment, if you'd been standing there from that exact moment, Jesus began to talk to his disciples about two other subjects besides who am I? For the first time in Matthew... Jesus mentions the church. I mean, that confession has just been made. And look at verse 18. And I tell you, you're Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So he speaks about the church. Secondly, He begins to focus on the cross. Look at verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Obviously, this is a pivotal moment in the ministry of Jesus. That's exactly what Matthew is saying to us. What does he choose as his subject at this pivotal moment? His identity, who am I? He chooses what he came to do, the cross and the resurrection. Now, how important is his identity? We've already said it's, <laughs> You must confess he's the son of God. If you don't believe that, you're lost. You can say you can believe in Jesus, but you can believe in Jesus, and if you don't believe he's the Son of God, you're lost. So you would say, Well, John, John Sartell, those, his identity, the cross and resurrection, they're essentials. They're right at the forefront. They are subjects that are essential to the understanding of the gospel. Well, does that not tell you how important the church is in the teaching of Jesus? He says, here's who I am. Here's what I've come to do. And right between that, he speaks of the church of Jesus Christ. He says, I am the son of God. I've come to die. And upon upon those two truths, I will build my church. Now, you're standing there and caught in our present culture. The evangelicals apt to say, Jesus, certainly you don't think the church is that important. Honey, I, mean, I know the church. I know CCRC. I know those people. It couldn't be that important. It's not as significant as your identity. It's not as significant as the cross and resurrection. You can't get away from it. There is Jesus saying, my church will be built on my identity. My church will be built on the reality of my death and resurrection. My church. Not your individual Christian life. My church will be built on these. He puts the church right there. You see in this passage, the great Incredible significance of the church. Now let's move quickly ahead. We move from that to understand that Christ founded this Son of God and Son of Man founded the church. Look at Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build not the church, I will build my church. My church. Look at Ephesians 2:19 and 20. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens. He's speaking to the Ephesians church. They been converted from rank paganism. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of what? The household of God built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. You know what a cornerstone is? It's what the church is founded on. It's what a building is built upon. Christ founded the church. What did we sing this morning? What did the choir sing? The church is one foundation. When we sang that, we were saying, He is the founder. He's the foundation. Church belongs to Him. The church is not man's invention to be a gathering place for people who happen to be saved. You know, it makes common sense because we could say to each other, Hey, you know, we're Christians. Let's just start to get together one morning a week. That's not what happened. It wasn't our idea. It wasn't man's idea. Christ founded the church. So, the great significance of the church, Christ founded the church. Three, I want you to see that Christ is head of the church. Look at Ephesians 1, 22, and he put all things under his feet. God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him head over all things to the church. Look at Colossians 1, 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So you have there, he's head of the body, the body's the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. Well, you listen to that and you say, okay, so he founded the church, he's head of the church, but doesn't that mean that he's just head over the worldwide church? The Holy Catholic Church. We confessed that just a few moments ago. The word Catholic in the Apostles' Creed does not mean the Roman Catholic Church. The word Catholic there means universal. Look it up in your dictionary. That's what the word means. The universal church. People from every tongue, from every race, every nation who have trusted in Jesus. Well, yes, it does mean that. He's head of that great church. But it also means he's head over CCRC, even the local church. You say, well, how do we know that? In Revelation 2 and 3, we know it from other things, but we'll just take it right here. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus speaks to whom? Each of the seven churches of Asia, each one individually. And he tells them positive things about their individual church. And he tells them negative things about their individual church. Their present conditions. Let's just look at one. Revelation 3, 1 and 2. And to the angel, this is Jesus speaking. To the angel, the church of Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, Sardis. But you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. That is the head of the church, Jesus. That's the founder of the church, Jesus, speaking to a local congregation like CCRC. It's a, People, it is so dangerous. We say it's semantics. This is not semantics. It's a dangerous thing for ministers, for elders, for deacons, for members, to say, that's my church. No, it's not. Go stand before Jesus and point to CCRC and say, that's my church. You can say, that's a church I attend. I'm a member of that church. But God forgive you for saying, that's my church. So why? It's not your church. A controversial vote was being taken in a congregational meeting in a local church. I was pastor of that church and I was not moderating the meeting that day. I was much younger. There was an older lady there and she was standing beside me as I was off to the side and she looked at me and very angrily she said this is not your church. And then she added I was here before you. I grew up here. I could only give her one answer, and as politely and as graciously as I could, I said, I I don't believe that this church belongs to either one of us, and if it does, we're in real trouble. The great significance of the church, Christ founded the church, Christ is head of the church. Fourthly, Christ intimately identifies with his church and calls the church his bride, Look at Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Well, why did he do that? And he loved the church that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word, so that he might present the church to himself. Well, what did he mean by that? He's going to present the church to himself. Well, look at Revelation 21, 2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, that's the church, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Look at Revelation 19, 6 through 9. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like the loud peals of thunder shouting. Here's this thunderous, this is worship. He was hearing worship and it's like a thunderstorm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Right. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Whatever you say about the church. Whatever you say about the church. You're saying you're talking about the bride of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You do not let anyone, if you're any kind of husband, you don't let anyone. Your children will try to do it all along to try to separate parents, to try to get father over here, mother over here, and get them on opposite sides so that at least one of them will be on the child's side. husband you do not let anyone marginalize your wife and if you do shame on you for doing it you think god the father do you think jesus is going to let christian even people that say we're christians you think that he tolerates you marginalizing the church. Oh, I can go or I cannot go. It really doesn't matter. I can tithe, I can not tithe. You know, it really doesn't matter. I can live my Christian faith without the church. Pick up your Bible and tell me where you find that garbage. Because that's what it is. It's not biblical. It's not what Jesus says. The great significance of the church, the church is founded by Christ. The church is Christ is head of the church. Christ is intimately involved with his church and calls the church his bride. Finally, he just says Christ loves the church. That's where I got the title this morning. It says he died for her. Husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself. He died for her. So who loves the church? Who does? The world does not. Our secular culture does not. Many evangelical Christians don't. They may say they love Jesus, but then right in the face of Jesus, they say, we don't need or love your church. You're standing out there in the world there's a great crowd of people. Suddenly, a voice cries out over the loudspeaker, "Who loves Jesus?" And most people in the crowd this is a secular, worldly crowd most people in the crowd don't respond. And it's hard. But you do it, it's, it's hard. You're you looking around. no one's raising hand, but you raise your hand. Then another voice cries out, Who loves the church? You look around, nobody raises their hand. And then you see Jesus. And Jesus raises his hand. I love the church, he says. And you look closely. And those hands are nail scarred. Amen.